This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Pyramid Gallery of Fine Art. Pyramid Gallery. Whatever you think it's worth, take pleasure in it. Pod Cemetery is also made possible by the generous support of listeners like you over at patreon.com/podcemetery. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's another Hellraiser week on Pod Cemetery in honor of the new Hellraiser on Hulu. We'll be watching that and Hellraiser 3 Hell on Earth from 1992. We thought we were done with Kirsty Cotton, but we're not. We're not. She comes back <laughs> a little bit. For like for a, little a bit. minute. Yeah, for a minute. Uh, we'll watch that movie first, actually. That is our classic film, 1992's Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, directed by Anthony Hickox, written by Peter Atkins, with the original story by Peter Atkins and Tony Randall, based on characters created by Clive Barker, starring Terry Farrell, Doug Bradley, Kevin Bernhardt, and Paula Marshall. Now, there was a listener of our show... Uh, friend of the pod, you might say, uh, Peter S., who knows Pete Atkins or worked with Pete Atkins. He's the guy who wrote this and apparently, well, and Wishmaster. Well, isn't it two and three? No, it's two and three of this, he, of Hellraiser. He wrote the original Wishmaster, yes. not two and three. Not two and three. Okay, the one that you like. Okay. Yes. Uh -huh. um, he described that as being entirely work for hire. Um, Wishmaster? Yes. In Peter S.'s words, not Atkins, uh, he was able to get in a number of funny lines, most of which you highlighted in your episode on the movie. That was his best revenge. <laughs> but this is how he describes a relationship between Pete Atkins and Clive Barker. They had been great friends in England when they were both in the theatrical group Dogs Company, uh, which is how he ended up doing so much work for Clive later on. Uh, Pete's also the one who named the puzzle box in Hellraiser the Lament Configuration, which gets added to in the new version, I should say. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he wrote Hellraiser 2 and Hellraiser 3, but he described it as being constrained by the limitations that Clive had placed on the universe. Interesting, because I don't think this movie does anything to stay within those constraints. Well... He has his own constraints, not necessarily constraints from the first movie. Okay. But he has his own idea of what to do. Like, I was reading something somewhere else that uh, Anthony Hickox had done, like, comedy horror before. And so Clive Barker was very wary of him coming on to direct this. Because he was still he heavily involved in the series at this point. Mm. Uh, he was a producer on this, and so he was involved. And so he basically demanded that he meet with Anthony Hickox and basically get an assessment of him. To which he, he described being a big fan and, you know, he wouldn't dishonor it in that way. And I don't think he did. I should also note that Pete Atkins wrote uh, Nightbreed, which we haven't covered on the show yet. Right. But someday. We've been wanting to yeah. for a mm -hmm. long time. Yeah. 
So thank you to Peter S., uh, longtime listener, although I don't know if he listens anymore. If you do, um, thank you very much. Really appreciate you reaching Everything out. Everything you've that. done yeah. has been uh-huh. really wonderful, and we miss... We miss getting emails from you. Yeah. <laughs> Although that might be our fault because we take so long to oh, respond. Yeah, totally. Yeah, very much so. What is Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, about, Kelsey? This rich guy who owns a club because he apparently killed his parents for their money. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, he gets the pillar. From the previous movies. But there is no pillar in the previous movies. This yeah, is the well, there's like a, a pillar. No, the concept of the pillar with body parts on it is in the first movie. But it's like how they torture people, yeah, right? Uh-huh, it has yes. nothing to do with him. He's never been inside it before. He was has trapped he? in it. In the first okay, one? Okay, so here's what happens. No, in the second one. In the second one, Doug Bradley plays two different characters, kind of. He plays Pinhead and he plays what Pinhead used to be, which is Captain Elliot. The main character sort of, like, resurfaces the Captain Elliot. Pinhead is put in the pillar. Elliot is left in limbo. Okay, so that's how the second one ends? Yes. So, yeah, it's odd because they kind of make them two entities. Yes. Here. Which is a whole new added thing. I'm totally fine with it. I don't know. I, yeah, uh, so... He's stuck in this pillar, and, like, because this guy's so evil, he, like, gets woken up, and he's like, kill people for me. It's a lot like in the first movie, you know? Yeah, uh, uh-huh. if The more you kill people, the more human I'll become. Yeah. Talking about And then I'll give you name? whatever you want, yeah. What was his name? Frank? Just like how Frank asks her, you know, kill people and I'll become more alive. It's kind of the same thing here. Pinhead is saying the more people you kill, the more I'll be able to become alive but it only takes like two people and then he's alive (laughs) right yeah it Um, doesn't take very much but so he just wants to wreak havoc all over the world which doesn't really match up with his constraints from earlier earlier it was it had to be somebody who opened the box and now yeah, suddenly well, we'll talk he is... all about that. The point is, is that Hel- uh, Pinhead. What's the plot? I couldn't really. Pinhead tell wants you. he's stuck in this pillar and he wants to come back and he needs sacrifices in order to come back. All of that's two. what it is. But all of two, and then he's back, and then he wreaks havoc. Like, and then she has to end it, right? If your problem is with the general concept of what a Hellraiser movie is, then I got bad news for you. I think you don't like Hellraiser. I like fish just as long as it doesn't taste like fish. I got news for you. I don't think you like fish. I'm almost positive fish is supposed to taste like fish. I don't know. It just, it makes more sense when it's a person who opens the box. Yeah, and then no, that is a huge him. problem. And again, we're getting way into the conversation about it when really we're just supposed to be talking about the plot. I know, but it's hard for me to talk about right. the plot because I don't remember much about the plot. <laughs> but my point is, one of the problems with Hellraiser is eventually by the end they try to do so much with it that the lore is all over the place. Yeah. And and how everything works is all over the place. That's the problem with this movie is that I feel like that's how I that's why I can't tell you what the plot is because there's so many different things going on. Which is one of the things I really liked about the Hulu Hellraiser. Is it Hulu just Hulu Hellraiser? Yeah. <laughs> the Hulu Hellraiser. <laughs> Sounds like a guy who has a lot of fun at Hawaiian parties. <laughs> at Luau's. The Hulu Hellraiser. (laughs) 
Um, it really sort of narrows the focus of what everything is. It it solidifies the lore in a way that's just like, oh, I get this. This is easy to understand. Everything makes sense. Because one of the things that I really love Hellraiser 4, same thing with like Candyman, is like how poetic and ephemeral it is. But the problem with that is then you can get into the sort of like anything counts and now we're talking about like spirits fighting and it's like eh. In a way this is like Nightmare 2. You know, yeah. Where they totally change the lore and suddenly they want to take over the world. And right. You're just and like, you know Whoa. how well, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> like like Freddy comes out of the dream world and starts harassing people in the real world, and that very much happens here, even yes. though he has he hasn't been limited to the real world in the past, um, but he has been limited to like specific people in specific locations. He's never been like out and about blowing things up, and so this really escalates things, and I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with that. I understand. <laughs> there's a lot that doesn't work in this, but there's a lot that really does. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna completely write this one off. You can watch the movie with a subscription to DirecTV or Cinemax. You can rent it for $4 and buy it for $13. We bought the entire bundle on Apple several years back when we started watching these again. So we actually already had it. Would you recommend that people watch this one? I would not. I would. Okay. I, I would with the same caveat I give to every single sequel. You have to be in it up to this point. If you've gotten through the first two movies, I think you should stick around for three. I don't think it's gotten bad yet. I liked the first two. This I did not like. The dialogue, I'm sorry to the writer. Uh -huh. The dialogue is not great. And then even worse, the acting is very poor. So, like... I think the effects are bad. I think... Like, there's a lot to not like about this movie, I will say. But I don't think it's jumped the shark yet. Although I do see how it's getting close. I mean, with the second one, there are elements of the second one that are so good, they're in the Hulu version. Yes. Like, you can tell that they really like the they, second one. They like the second one, one right. <laughs> and which is, uh, which is great. We were both fans. Like, way back when, when we actually covered these, we gave the first one, respectively, Kelsey, then me, a 77 and an 80. Uh, we gave the second one a 71 and a 69. Uh, we actually really liked Hellseeker 2, which was the sixth one. We liked it not it's, it's the le it's the worst out of the three we had seen so far, but still up there. You gave it a sixty five, did I? And I gave it a sixty eight. I thought I didn't like it. Right? No, I, I think there it. was something. You know how he say like the the weird ephemeral poeticism, <laughs> like it had that element to it. If I remember correctly, it's been a while since we've seen it. I would say yes. It's been a while. Like we were watching. We we mentioned this. God, where did we mention this? Did we mention this in our in our last episode? We were watching the entire franchise all the way through. Oh, we we didn't get very far. Yeah, we 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 never finished four. Yeah, and that's when it really tries to go places. But see, like I think you might feel that a little bit here, but there's still redeemable qualities. I will say. I think what happened is 
I hated this one, mm -hmm. but I decided to stick with it and watch the fourth one. And then the fourth one was so boring. That's what I remember about four is so boring. I remember being like, oh, my God, these conversations never end. <laughs> uh, but I so, will say that they get worse. I think right? one is still the best, then two and then three. But I think I hated three so much. And then four was so boring. I, I was like, no, I'm done with this series because we had we were coming right off of watching all of Nightmare, all of Halloween, all of uh, Friday the 13th. Yes. And I think I was real exhausted. Uh-huh. And then this was just, this was not good enough to get through. I will still say yes. Kelsey says no. So you can take that as you will. When we get back, we will talk about 1992's Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. In Hellraiser 1, Clive Barker showed you his vision of a private hell. In Hellraiser 2, he took you on a journey inside the inferno. Now, the terror returns in mankind's final confrontation with evil. We're going to hell, ladies first. Relax, baby. This is better than sex. It's so good to be back. Clive Barker presents Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Hellraiser 3 begin? So we see all these disturbing images on the pillar. Yeah. Which, yes, I do remember it being in the first one, but I remember it more being like... No, it's like a block hanging from chains and there's yes. like a face stretched across it. Yes. Yeah, no, it's not like a this piece of like art. This is like an art piece, yes, yeah, which is uh -huh. how they're selling it in this. Although... Selling in quotes. It comes from like a warehouse of art, but it's like a scam Please? No, it's not a scam place. I think the point is it's one of those like, oh, you're in a bazaar in the Middle East and then you buy the monkey's paw and somebody asks you, where did you get that? You go, I got it at the stall right over there. And it's gone. You know, but, like it's one of those sorts of things. But doesn't she go through the receipts and she's like, these are like from art students and like, you know, like copies and stuff doesn't she go through the receipts and find that out because they go through to figure out who bought it or who sold it to him well they go there and then they're told that this place nobody's worked out of there for years what are you talking about and he he, he bought it off of some bum who literally said it's not mine right yeah i i think that that's a callback to one yeah it was always yours yes oh for sure he says take pleasure in it like he the bum obviously knows something yes we say bum, that's literally how he's credited in the credits. So that is going to be, what's his name? J.P. Monroe. Yeah, he's the bad guy in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like we said, he's a rich asshole who you'll later find out murdered, murdered his, his parents. parents. Which is fun. Well, yeah, but it's also strange because when he watches his, like, the girl that he was being a dick to get murdered, he's like, oh my god, like, he's never seen murder before. 
well, the, I think the way that it happens is particularly intense. He just killed his parent, just killed his parents <laughs> because he, it was a means to an end. And this is something completely different. So yeah, I could see how he has a different reaction. But yes, he's a dickhead who has a lot of money, who runs out of this one building. This one building. It's called the Boiler Room. It's a it's a club. It's a bar. It's, it's a like restaurant. Super, yeah. And it's his home. Yes. And the bar is like super dark and dirty and grungy and creepy and like a Hollywood, I mean, Halloween bar, but like all the time. But even but still, then, I was like, eh, it's kind of lame how, how tame it is. But like then the restaurant. More. It's like fancy and like black tie. Yeah. What yeah. is going mm-hmm. on? He's a rich asshole. That's what being a rich asshole is all about. We're going to meet our main character. Yeah, this is Terry Farrell, who is playing Joey Summerskill. Terry Farrell with light hair, I might add, which is really weird, because I know her from two things. I know her from Deep Space Nine. I know her from Becker. And I guess a third thing, I know her from having a name that's very, very similar to Perry Farrell, the lead singer of Jane's Addiction. <laughs> you talking about the main actress? The main actress, the, the news reporter. Maybe she's good in those things. Oh, no, she's terrible. She's very bad in this. Uh, oh, especially that first scene. Like, it's funny because in <laughs> on our Apple TV, when you navigate to this movie, it just starts playing a scene. And it's literally the first scene you see of her in the movie. So it's not like, oh, we just don't have the context that, the, that you get in the movie. No, it's like real bad. Yes, the acting is so terrible. Joey Rainey didn't, kid. They couldn't have known. I know. I know. It's just so neat, isn't it? My first gig that isn't kindergarten kids or diet gurus is taken away from me. Yeah, well, like you said, it's a mystery. But that's all it is, a mystery. It makes the dialogue, which isn't great, sound so much worse than it is. Like like I said, dialogue is not great. If I read it on the page, I would not be impressed. But hearing it come out of these actors, it is very, very bad. I don't know if the directing is really bad. I wouldn't say that necessarily, though, because I think that Pinhead does a fine job, but I guess that's just because he's playing Pinhead and that's his character. So Bradley, yeah, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. She is a reporter and she's not getting the breaks that she needs, even though she's a great reporter. Yeah, right. Yeah, maybe you're not that good on screen. (laughs) Which is a bummer. I think she's fine in Be- like Becker is a like a sitcom, you know. Like she works for that Deep Space Nine. She plays an alien, so like okay. But in this, it's weird. It's and again, it's weird to see her with light hair. I don't know why that bothers me so much. It just does. <laughs> but so she, the cameraman, goes off to get a real story with a real reporter. Well, they they. Send him there. He gets a call and he gets dispatched. To right, a, but that's what yeah. she says. Yeah. Because uh-huh. she's so frustrated. But while there, she's going to see a crazy scene. Yes. Of this person being ripped apart by chains. And you're like, what's going on? Like it's on? happening in public. Other people are seeing this. Yes. Which is why I think it's a natural escalation three movies in that it starts getting bigger. It starts getting more blatant. And I think that that's kind of interesting. I'm fine with that. Right. I'm fine with it because it's explained later that he took the box out of the 
pillar. Yes. So I'm fine with him being taken apart. And I think it's an interesting, yeah, an interesting step up yeah. to make people actually see it as opposed to making Kirstie Cotton seem crazy. Right. But here's the thing. Nobody believes any of the people anyway. Right. Because it's so unbelievable. But, like, doctors and nurses are getting splattered with blood from these floating ghost chains covered in electricity. Right, like, but you can't explain that later. Right. Nobody knows how to explain it. And then there's this other girl, another, um, she would eventually become more famous, but Paula Marshall playing Terry, which is very confusing. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, I thought I had seen that one before. And I was like, aren't you normally a better actress than this? So well, this maybe is like it her is the first directing. thing. Yeah, and I'm not so confident in the director, but yeah. It's it's hard to get through, guys. The the acting is very hard to get through. We, we see like a head explode. It's his head. The dude's head explodes. Yes. Uh and I mean, she's like, "What the fuck happened?" and and Terry the character gets out of there. Yeah, she's like, I don't even know this guy. You know, I just was, I just happened to be there. I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. I need to get out of here. But I would say that these effects are actually pretty good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Weren't you saying that you didn't like the effects in this movie? There are effects that come later, which are not good. Okay. And there's something very early 90s about some of these. Like, they're going to be making new Cenobites, and it's... Oh boy, if this was made five years earlier, there would be a, like a laser disc <laughs> Cenobite. Oh, oh God. Oh, the CD one is so bad. There's a, there's a camera one. I don't one think the camera one's that bad. I think the camera one's pretty creepy. I would say in concept, the idea that we take things that we fetishize in modern times and make Cenobites out of them is not that bad of a concept. But in practical application on screen, it looks fucking ridiculous. The CD monster reminded me a lot of how in the Banana Splits, they tried to make them seem like they're robot. oh, robots yeah. just because of the sounds. Yeah. But it's uh-huh. almost funny in that because it's a funny movie. Uh-huh. It is not funny here because it's right. not supposed to be funny. It's just sad. It's just a man doing a robot down the street. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's from a long ways away from now. We're just talking about the different effects that they have in this movie. So she tries to be a good reporter. I feel like the movie is trying to make her like a good reporter, tracking down the leads and solving the mystery. Literally, all she does is she the this Terry woman tells her the boiler room. That's where this happened. She goes to the boiler room and says, I'm looking for someone pretty. And he and the bartender goes, you want to check the restaurant with J.P. Monroe? She goes to J.P. Monroe That's and is like, mean. I'm looking for someone pretty. And then like hands him her card. And he's like, I don't know. Get out of here. And then Terry sees her. Right. Terry's sitting there apparently listening. At a different but table. But doesn't do anything. But isn't J.P. her boyfriend? Why is she not sitting with J.P.? Oh, because he are, has he already broken up with her? Then why is she hanging out at the boiler room? It's Because everyone hangs out of the boiler room but my point is my point is they're trying to frame it like she's doing the legwork and she's being a good reporter and she deserves to be on camera it's like literally all she does is she goes where the person tells her to go when she gets there they tell her to go somewhere else and then she goes and then her description of this woman is not like oh you know she has black hair and she was wearing eyeliner she was at the boiler room last night like key details
details that might pin down. Just, she's pretty. I'm looking for a pretty girl. Young, pretty, really, really pretty. It doesn't help me. Yeah, literally. Like, but he he's like, if you're looking for a pretty girl, go talk to JP and Muro. But it yeah. is really dumb. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's bad writing. I'm sorry. There's also this whole fucking side story oh, with her about dad? her dad being yeah, in so Vietnam. She dreams about war. And her dad gets injured, and then the helicopter leaves him behind, and she's like, wait, but he's still alive. And she never knew her dad, because he was sent off to war before she was born. Like, and you think it's going to be this whole revelatory thing, but the thing is- It leads to one thing. It leads to one, like, trick at the end, which she was fully warned about. She was warned he will try to trick you. And, like, it when it happens- it feels so random because right. you're just like, wait a minute, why are you suddenly seeing your dad in this moment and that you know it has to be Pinhead tricking her because she had been warned he would trick her. And then yeah. you're, and, and when it dawns on you that the whole movie, all those dreams about was her father just this was just for this, well, it's it also, so frustrating. It also gives her a connection to the captain who also has this history of war. That's how let's, he's able to find her. Let's not forget that he's from World War One. <laughs> right, no, but he's able to find her because, as he says, a dream of one war is a dream of all wars. Oh my God. It's... I'm fine with that. No, I'm not okay it's with It's a that. connection. I'm fine with it. I'm not okay with this. I'm fine with it. It's, it's really weak connections. It, they are really weak connections, in my opinion. And, like I said... All these dreams, all this time, all this screen time is leading up to a really dumb trick that she doesn't see coming. Right. Yeah. No, totally. It's one of those things where she, like, figures it out. We'll talk about what specifically it is later. She she figures it out, but it's like, it's already happened. It's already too late. It's another <laughs> one of those things where it's like, yeah, you figured it out, but to no benefit. The fact that you figured it out means absolutely nothing. It would have happened Regardless. So, like, why are we supposed to be impressed that you figured something out? Anyway. JP is going to have sex with this woman. And he has this thing where he has the bartender give her a chilled rose, which is basically her pass to talk to him. And then he's going to bring him up, bring her upstairs to his room and have sex with her in front of this pillar that he's bought. It's going to watch him having sex. And they get in an argument because he's an asshole and she's an airhead. He's like, take off my shirt and get the hell out of here. I really just wanted to have sex with you. I do this to all the women. Did you think you were special? She's like, do you think I'm dumb? Like, you know? And then so she yells at him. And then she gets too close to the pillar. And then the pillar rips all of her skin off. Which I read somewhere was actually played by Paula Marshall. The woman who plays Terry. Not by this woman in particular. I have no idea, but that effect is very bad. It's just like a skin person. Of her uh, clothes and and skin coming off, that effect is bad. After the effects in the first movie, with the skinless Frank and all of that, like, come on. (laughs) Uh, And then gets really badly sort of like floated into the pillar. The effect is terrible. It's like from a TV show of the time. Like like something that might have been on an after school sitcom, like bad. Anyway, she gets sucked into the pillar and then her face appears on the pillar. I have a lot to say about this scene, but you've actually skipped a lot of things. Okay. All right. I'm gonna go, ahead. go through them very quickly. Yes. Uh you skipped the fact that 
Is her name Terry with the black short hair? Yes, that is Terry. <laughs> so Terry is going to go stay with the reporter. Yes. Uh, and she's going to stay with her. Like, it, it, the thing is, if I stay with you, then I, if you give me a place to live, then I will talk to you. I'll tell you all, all you want to know. Uh-huh. She explains about the box and she actually shows her the box. Uh-huh. And I wrote down, oh, God, the shot of the box. So you're going to have to get a clip of that. I thought it was really bad, apparently. And then they cut to him seeing the hole where the box should be in the pillar. Okay. A rat is in there. Oh, right. Yes. And the rat bites him. And that's what, I guess, that's what wakes wakens up. Yeah. him. Uh-huh. Even though the box, shouldn't the box have woken him up? Well, he didn't get any of that blood. So what... what they imply is that the pillar needs to like basically drink blood. Okay, but so how? So, but the, yes. How did the other it's, guy it's unclear. die? This is what happens with the series: is the further it goes on, the more unclear it gets. Which is again one of the things I really liked about the new one. It's very clear. I thought that it was that he opened the box and so he died, but apparently yes. not because Pinhead's not awake yet. Yeah, it's just the box acted on its own volition, I guess. That's weird. Or it's just supposed to be a creepy Hellraiser thing at the beginning of the movie as a hook. I think that's what it is. They didn't think about it too much. It, that's the. No, problem. you're right. No, I get it. So, but the blood gets onto this pillar, mm-hmm. which wakens Pinhead. But when he first finds this thing, he gets like all he, when he first sees the hole, like uh-huh. and to get to the rat, he gets all like curious about uh-huh. what's in it. I swear, it looked just like the scene from Scary Movie where he's all curious about the hole. Oh, about the the like um, the way that he like puts the his glory hand hole. in. Like, yeah. what am I gonna find? In what here? is it gonna be in here? He, like they look the get same. You, get you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, I thought it was a very strange way to film it. I again, maybe it's the direction that's the problem. Uh-huh. They find, oh, re- remember how I was talking about how they go through the receipts at the scam place? Yeah, uh-huh. That's how they find out that the pillar came from the mental hospital from two, which is how they find the tapes of Kirsty Cotton because they go yeah. to that mental asylum. Are they implying that at the end of two, you said that Pinhead gets stuck inside the pillar. The pillar is inside the mental asylum. I guess that makes sense because that's where the doctor That's where was. it all happened. Yeah. Uh-huh. I guess that makes sense. Um, ooh, ooh. When when P- Pinhead first wakes up. Oh, yeah. And he's just a face. Ooh. The CGI's are really bad. Oh, that. Yes. Uh-huh. Ooh. I just thought it was an interesting, you know, that sort of drawn... We've seen it in other ones. I don't know if we saw it in the first one. Pretty sure we saw it in the second one where you get that like, you know, they draw on the actual cell of film like an animated lightning going across all the lines in his face. And I'm fine with all that. Like, that's classic Hellraiser to me. Yeah. And so after the whole thing where he sucks the girl into the pillar. Mm hmm. I was like, oh, so he's like Frank now. He needs blood. He needs sacrifices to come to life. And you think that's going to be the whole, like, a lot of the movie, just like it was for the first one. No, he only needs one more. Right. This is when J.P. Monroe is like, what you just did was evil. And he's like, what I did was evil. You killed your parents. (laughs) Here's the thing. You'll read about how Doug Bradley was like, it was rough. I was inside this box. I had zero options to actually act. It was uncomfortable, and I couldn't perform the way I wanted to perform. And it's like, oh, it makes it seem like he hated being in this. But he also got the opportunity to spend a whole fuckload of time out of makeup 
just being able to act as a human. I figured that would be something he'd be really excited about. So I haven't heard him say anything about that, but just to sort of like a contrarian position to people that are like, oh, he hated how this movie put him in a box. And it's like, well, yeah, it also took him out of that box more than any other movie has. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. We'll talk about when we see Captain Spencer Elliot. I thought it was really silly when he spit out the bullets. Or Elliot Spencer? Elliot Spencer. Yes. Oh, yeah. Really silly when he spits out the bullets, especially when they zoom in and you can see that only part of his lips are painted. Like he's supposed to be all green. And then he. What does that remind me of? I don't know. I feel like that reminds me of something. The tapes of Kirsty Cotton that really they really are her. But did she do that before? Like, was it intended for two? Yeah, it really is her. It doesn't say anything about like archive footage or anything like that so maybe they really did get her back hmm that's interesting because she survives too right that's how they were able to make six yeah uh that's interesting i wonder if she didn't want to do three or if they were trying to because you can tell that obviously i mean same guy wrote both yeah he's uh obviously oh he wrote two he wrote two and three oh he wrote two and three yeah that is bizarre Uh uh-huh because two is so good. Two is so good in a really bizarre, bizarre way. way. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't that. And this is so different from well, two. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think it's it swings. It swings the bat in the same way that the second one does. And in the second one, he got kind of a triple. And then he did the same exact swing, but in a different direction. And it's a foul ball. Like, I think that's the difference. Like, I still admire the swing. It's just... Two was more successful than three. Is it Terry that feels called to open the box, or is it the news reporter that feels called to open the box? They keep like they keep picking up the box, and I was like, it calls me because <laughs> uh, they keep like ha- going to it, but they uh-huh. keep like getting interrupted, so they don't open yeah. it up. So J.P. Monroe, after being talking after talking to Pinhead, realizes that a- what does Pinhead promise him? Whatever he wants. Pleasures, you know, all the classic pinhead stuff. Don't flee from yourself. If you have a quality, be proud of it. Let it define you, whatever it is. By helping me, you will help yourself. Oh, yes. You want to. You always have. Look at your paintings, your sculptures. Look at these tawdry representations and then... Imagine a world of the body as canvas, the body as clay, your will and mine as the brush and the knife. There is a place at my right hand for you, Monroe, for a man of your tastes. Tastes I can help you to indulge. Flesh. Power. Dominion. How do we start? It has already begun. But it's all monkey's paw, which we'll find out in the new Hellraiser. Yeah. Uh, but I guess we kind of figured that out from, from oh, yeah, one. Oh, yeah, no, it's all the way back in one, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I guess he promises him whatever he wants if he if he keeps feeding him. So he decides, who's an easy target? I guess let's just go after my ex-girlfriend. My ex-Terry, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, even though I feel like it'd be a lot easier to just get another girl like he did. Another rando, yeah, totally. I feel like that would be easier as opposed to someone who might know that you're an asshole and might not go along with what you're going to do. Right. Yep. But 
Whatever. So yeah, he goes after her. He calls her at Joey's place. And she's like, how'd you, how'd you get this number or whatever? And he's like, she was handing out business cards all over the place. Yes. <laughs> so I was able to find her. Is it just me or is it actually the cameraman that calls her and tells her you've got this big story in in Monterey? I'll see you there or whatever. Or is it like Pinhead faking her out? I like I I wasn't entirely clear on that. I might just not have been paying attention. Because one of the reasons why Terry goes back to JP is because she feels like Joey lied to her. Right, because she said she could stay there as long as she wanted to, and then she found out that she got a job in Monterey, which is really not something that you should be upset about. First of all, I never said that if I went to Monterey, you couldn't come with me. Right. Secondly, I had no idea if I was going to get this job. Right. I could have very easily not gotten it. And thirdly, I still haven't kicked you out. Like, I haven't done anything against what I said I'd do. So while Joey's out doing all this research about the hospital from number two, Terry is like, Fuck you, liar, and, like, leaves this... To go back to JP, who had already called her and asked her to come back. Something like, enjoy Monterey, liar, is on his post-it note. Yes. (laughs) On the answering machine, and then when she listens to the answering machine, she hears that message that she got this job in Monterey. But now she's worried about Terry, especially everything she's sort of heard from Kirsty on the tapes. Who, okay... I guess the whole thing is he needs to get her near the pillar, close enough to the pillar so that... Yes, it's just proximity, it feels like. Yeah, but she keeps avoiding going near the pillar. Yeah, it creeps her out. Yes. And, of course, that that causes him to get upset, and he tries to attack her, which is when she br- he, busts he, out the brass Which knuckles. is great, I love that, but I don't want to miss the fact that he says, come to daddy. Yes. Come on over here. Come to daddy. Which is obviously a reference to the first movie. Come to daddy. Yes, she punches him with brass knuckles, and then he gets close to the pillar, and Pinhead's like, fuck it, I'm taking you! (laughs) It just takes JP. Yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which, I feel like that should be enough for her, because later, Pinhead's gonna convince her to work for him. yes. But I'm like, why do people, but this happens all the time. It does. Why do people, people not you know? see that, like, did you just see how he treated his last per- right. employee? Like, I'm pretty sure yes. he's going to do the same thing to you. You know, but that's that's how I've always felt about movies about, like, the devil and stuff. I'm just like. Totally. You know that anyone who works for the devil is expendable. Why do you think you're special? It's a weird concept. Well, people get desperate. They get in despair. They end up making bad decisions. So. It is recap and explanation time. We're going to get exposition because Joey's going to fall asleep. She's going to dream about her dad in the war again. And then this is how Captain Elliot Spencer finds her. And I'm going to explain literally everything for, to you. It's, it's exposition time. He finds her in her dream world because he's stuck in limbo after the second movie. Uh, and because she dreams about war with her father, he's able to find her there. I would imagine that this made a whole lot more sense in the original story treatment. And that they, when they were like, we got to take stuff out for the actual filming of the movie, by the end, it's just there's not enough there. And that's probably one of your bigger problems with it. <laughs> but yeah, he tells her basically everything. The war destroyed my generation. 
those that didn't die drank themselves to death. I went further. I was an explorer of forbidden pleasures. Opening the box was my final act of exploration, of discovery. I found the monster within the box. It found the monster within me. For decades, I served hell with no memory of my former life. And basically, I lost who I used to be, and I became this priest of hell. Pinhead. Which he's, by the way, never called until this movie. Joey calls him Pinhead. I think almost like an insult. And then that's the first time he's ever called Pinhead. Hmm. Um, I did not notice either of those. Going back to the second movie, he says... Monster as I was, I was bound by laws. L has its commandments too, you know. The box had to be opened to let me out. The truly innocent was safe. That's not true. Kirsty fucking wasn't. Until, it, well, she survived because she was truly innocent. Uh, no, she survived the end of the first one because she tricks him. He's gonna take her no matter what. Right, but she's able to be like, don't she you want this asshole? The box. Yeah. Doesn't she? That's how she's able to get away. Until a friend released me. Kirsty Cotton. Yes, but if your soul was freed... My evil was too strong. It hid. It waited. Well, no longer, Joey. The shell of the beast has been fleshed. What I was is out there in your world. Unbound. Unstoppable. Okay. I I think I probably tuned out a little bit at this point. <laughs> and he's like, you, based on everything you've done so far, you've shown great courage. I think you're the only thing that can really stop him. You've come to this sort of dream world through the window in your apartment. Bring him back to here so I can get to him. Yeah, but he also warns her, he will trick you. It's the box, Joey. He has to destroy it. You must go back. You must let him come for it. You found the window, Joey. Use the box to bring him through it. Bring him here, to my dominion, where I have power. But what if he takes the box from me before? He can't take it. It must be given to him. And that's where your courage will count. Because believe me, he can be very persuasive and very inventive. And this is like cool sort of lore building around Pinhead. I love it that it's just the evil parts of Elliot Spencer. Like that's kind of, and and he's really good at what he does. Like I, I really like that idea. So yes, now it's her mission. She's going to go back to the bar and she's going to try to get Pinhead to come with her back to her apartment and then get him into the window where the captain can stop him for good. Which, if you think about it, it's very similar to the first film. It's getting Frank back up into that room so that Pinhead can take him. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. It's getting Pinhead to go into the dream world. See, this is why I'm so still like, no, this is still Hellraiser to me. Like, it hasn't gone off the deep end yet. I forgot that they... I didn't remember that they explained all that. So, 
here's where things go crazy. Because in the middle of all of this, Pinhead's like, I'm out. I'm free. I've made a deal with Terry, who we don't see again for a while. Let's fuck shit up. Let's do this. And he, like, bursts through JP's bedroom door. And everyone in the club is like, what? He's like, shall we begin? (laughs) Shall we begin? (laughs) And just terror everywhere, killing people. And it's chaos. It is the pool scene from Nightmare 2, you know, except on a grander scale. I was trying to think of what it reminded me of, because there is a club scene like this in another movie Mm -hmm. where everybody just gets destroyed. And it's not the same thing as Carrie at the prom. And it's not the same thing as... Blade, uh, Blade? Is it just Blade? The first Blade. Um, when, he, when he goes at the right. nightclub. Th- this is like gruesome. What- oh! I know what it reminds me of. Don't let me forget about Blade. Blade will come up on Hulu Hellraiser, but go ahead. Wishmaster. Yes! 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 <laughs> it is like Wishmaster. <laughs> the party the, scene. The scene at the party hosted by... Robert Englund, <laughs> Freddy Krueger. <laughs> it all comes back around. <laughs> anyway. Just gruesome torture. So I guess it makes sense that he wrote both movies. Do you remember seeing a guy getting stabbed with the pool cue? Kind of. That was Zach Galligan from Gremlins. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gremlins 1 and 2, which we've watched on this show. He had been in Hickok's movies before. And we get the CD kill where the DJ, CD the DJ, is like sliced up by CDs because CDs were like, you know. Huge. The popular technology. Yeah, well, I mean, the late 80s is really where they got really big. It Only if you were like a yuppie, like an American psycho. Like they were very fucking expensive. And they started becoming more popular in the, in the early 90s. And that's that was everything. And so it's like, oh, it's part of the zeitgeist. Wouldn't it be twisted if it was used as a weapon against you? Like, no, nope, nope, nope. Hate it, hate it, hate it. It is bad. She asks Doc, the cameraman, to show up there and meet her there. He gets there first. When she shows up and everyone's already dead, she sees his body there with the camera in place of his head. And his head on the ground. And his head's on the ground. And then it's like moving. It's like, you know, like it's a real head. Right. It's a twisted idea. And yeah, uh-huh. I think it's it is. Twi- I think it still works. It still works. It's a twisted idea. It just doesn't know. It just doesn't look great when he's a person. Right. But it's the idea of like, you know, the voyeurism of, yes. of having camcorders now. But right. it's not. He's a professional cameraman for a news organization. It's not the same thing. But it just doesn't work for the CDs because oh, it, yeah, no. it, it looks really, really he stupid. He just gets all these CDs it's in his head. CDs and- in his head and then he throws them at you. So he's turning like, these oh, People, oh, no. He's turning these people into Cenobites, and eventually Terry will come out being her own Cenobite. That's what she agreed with Pinhead. He's like, I can turn you into a Cenobite. Is that what he... I don't think that we saw their agreement. He mentions that, like, join me or whatever. He said, I'll take you into my world, and he didn't... I don't think he explained what that meant. No. I, just like he never does, like, but, you know? Yeah, but she says after she turns to Joey, like, hey... Look at me. I'm doing great right now. Don't you want to join me? But again, just like we get with Captain Spencer and Pinhead, 
there is like a separation there between who you were and who you've become. You've so kind you of can't, forgotten. Yeah. You you have to. Like you have to have forgotten what it's like to be human to want people to join you. So you cannot trust Cenobite Terry. No. When she says that. But yeah, she gets chased and everything. CD, the Cenobite throwing CDs and stuff is like Ninja Stars. Um, and okay, it was 1992. Today, we would probably have an NFT Cenobite with randomly assigned body parts and specific kinks that just are randomly assigned just like the fucking apes. I don't believe that they also didn't have like a, a, v a VR Cenobite in 92. Because that was when it was also kind of like future tech, virtual reality. But they could do a VR Cenobite now because that's like really fucking big. The metaverse and all of that. I'm certainly glad they didn't. I So am I. But if that's like imagine an NFT Cenobite and a VR Cenobite today, that's what the CD and video camera Cenobites are in 92. Yes. Like, it, uh, don't like it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. I did like the blood spilling under the floor, although, of course, it's pretty much stolen from The Shining. Yeah. I still thought it was cool. He chases her. She goes into a into a church, and the guy's like, demons aren't real. They're just parables. And she's like, well, then what is that? My child, what's the matter? What on earth's the matter? I have to get him back to my apartment, back to the window. But... But they just keep coming. They just keep coming. Who keeps coming? The demons. The demons. Demons? Demons aren't real. They're parables, metaphors. Then what the fuck is that? And then in comes Pinhead into the church. Something does happen that I wrote down, oh, this is a little bit on the terrifying side, uh, but I don't know what it was. It was right after the blood spilled out, and my next note is, why are the police not doing anything? Somewhere in between there, there was something scary. Well, when she's when, when he's chasing her down the streets, like, we're in the open air at this point, things are exploding, like, I hated that scene. Yes. This whole scene is people way on the too streets long. are like cars are crashing because like the um the manholes are bursting out and fires coming out of the sewer and like all sorts of shit's happening in broad daylight. And then she finds the cops and hides behind the cops. I said it I, I know what I thought was terrifying. I thought yeah. it was terrifying when she was walking through and looking at all the damage that Oh yeah, and everyone's out. just dead and And that's where we see the guy Doc, with the yeah, thing. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's when I was like, why why is everyone still here? Didn't the, sh the police already show up? Why aren't the police there? Why aren't they, like, cleaning up the scene? What is going right, on? Well, that's the thing. I think ev literally everyone died. Right, but the police didn't die. The police didn't show up at the club. Nobody knows about the club. There's just some crazy rampage going on in the streets. Oh. That's what I think, at least. I hate, yeah, the scene. The, oh, had Terminator 2 just come out? I think so, yeah. Because uh, them walking did not feel like Cenobites walking. It, oh, it felt, felt like, like Terminator, Terminator 2. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, because we're not used to having Cenobites out in the open. So. And them slowly walking, it only works when, you're, when your victim is already hurt or is in a small, confined space. Sure. She's out in the middle of everything and she's not hurt. She could very easily get away here. Well, she runs into a church. Pinhead comes in, and we actually see him remove pins from his head, 
and there's like worms on him for some reason. And then he impales his hands and he does like stigmata, like mocking Christ. But I wrote down, wait a minute. If Cenobites exist, shouldn't God exist? No, I think they're saying that God does exist. So why isn't God able to do anything? This is God's house. If you believe in religion. That's what makes him so terrifying is he's able to do all this and he's able to mock God in God's house. That's terrifying. I did not enjoy that. I don't enjoy mocking people's religions. Uh I I don't mind. I think it's. I love that shit. I don't. I think it's rude. I think it's unnecessary. I think it's, it's. It makes sense to take something that is embedded in our culture and recontextualize oh, it in ways that. that terrify us. I believe Cenobites no, would I'm, do that. No, I mean the filmmakers. Like, Christianity, whether you're Christian or not, is a huge part of the culture that you belong to. And recontextualizing it in a way that's supposed to terrify you makes sense. I know. I just don't think we need to. I, I'm, I don't care. But anyway, she gets away, and they all kind of find her in this, like, construction area, and they just sort of, like, circle around her, poking and prodding her like they're like they're bullies at a school. Oh, <laughs> yeah. When Terry shows up, she's all sad for Yes, her. she is really, like, it's devastating that this young woman, who she began to, like, really care for, is now a Cenobite, and there's, like, nothing she can do. Um, she says, I can dream now. She says she never dreamed before. Yes. And then so she she says to her, he says something about like playing with her. He'll mention something else later, but she's like, play with this, pinhead. More friends come to play with you, Joey. (laughs) Play with this, pinhead. And she solves the puzzle. And it like... Everything just kind them of disappears. Yeah, they sort of get that, 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 they, you know how they, they've, in previous movies, they've done this too, where they just kind of disappear into like a ball of lightning and poof. She's like, wait a minute. I thought the same thing. I said, what was all that shit about the window? She could just solve the puzzle anywhere? What's all that? And she says just as much. She's like, but what about the window? Is that it, Elliot? But I didn't bring him through my window. Elliot? So it's like, okay, the writer, in this case, knows exactly what you're thinking and uses it. And I think that's that works. Except that then she's too stupid to understand yes, that five seconds idiot. later. She's an idiot. She is in her dream. And this is what Pinhead's going to use against her. So he enters her dream to be like, I'm your dad. And somebody sent me here to say that you did something great and you should be proud of yourself. And it's all done. I'm also supposed to take something from you. I don't know what. And she's like, oh, here, have it, dad. And then she just hands it to him. And then she's like, wait a minute. How did you know my name? And then it's Pinhead. (laughs) But then Captain Elliot Spencer shows up. He's like, ha. You got so fucking greedy and so, like, arrogant that you thought you could get to her through dreams. Well, that's where I am, bitch. (laughs) And he grabs him, and they sort of, like, morph John Carpenter's The Thing style, where we get this sort of body horror melding of Pinhead and Spencer. Which is interesting, because it's like Bradley and Bradley, right? They are literally the same actor being, like, melded together, but it's a physical effect, and I appreciated that. Well, she will stab him. 
with the box. Which is funny because that's yes. what they do in the new movie. She turns it into, yeah, but in the new movie, there's like a blade, right? In this, she turns it into the diamond configuration, which we'll get a name we'll talk about in the, in the next one. And then like stabs him with that, the one that is God or the devil or whatever in hell in part two. You know, it's the giant sort of, what did they call that? Leviathan. It's the Leviathan configuration. And so she turns it into the Leviathan configuration and then stabs him with it. And that's what sends him to hell. Joey, send me to hell! <laughs> Go to hell! And then when she gets out, she's back in the real world. And remember, she's in a construction site. She has the lament configuration, which is just the box. And then she just drops it into wet cement because it's just fully wet cement not being monitored by anybody. And that's why the fucking building becomes like the box? Yeah, it's like subconsciously being influenced or somebody knows it's there and builds it around it. So dumb. I'm really curious to see what happens in number four. Cause like I said, we never finish number four. I would, I, when, well, again, in the new one, I was like, is this the building from, it's not, but yeah, <laughs> but it looks like it. What we're talking about is there's sort of a sequel teaser where we get to see the building that gets built on this foundation in the future. And like the designs from the outside of the box are everywhere inside the architecture of this building. Yeah. And you're like, Ooh, what's going on here? And it's like, Oh, the influence is getting out there. It's even bigger. You thought you contained it, but you, you can't contain it. It's the end of the movie though. So Kelsey, what do you think? Hellraiser three hell on earth. Get it? Cause he actually gets out. What do you think it has on rotten tomatoes? I will guess a 58. A 40. Mm. No consensus statement. It has a 50 on Metacritic. I wrote about this, my my thoughts at the end of watching it. I wrote, I love it in concept. It really ups the stakes, and some of the dialogue is fun, but it's just not a good movie. Pinhead is so much more well-rounded and cool, but he's also doofier, and the makeup isn't as good. Mm -hmm. Everything I like about it is then counterbalanced by something I don't like about it. And so, I don't know. I don't think it's as good as part two. I can't imagine saying that it's not better than Hellseeker, though. I don't remember what I like so much about Hellseeker. I can't imagine what got me up to the 60s for Hellseeker. Yeah. So what would you give this one? Knowing that you gave the first one a 77, the second one a 71, and Hellseeker part six, a 65. Because you guys, so you guys know, one, two, and Hellseeker are the Kirsty trilogy. Kirsty, the character comes back in six. We did not do that on purpose. No, it just worked out. It was awesome. <laughs> but anyway, knowing 77, 71, and then 65 for part six, what would you give this? Ah, uh, this movie is, okay, like, it's not abysmal, I, but it's not great, I, and I don't know that I ever want to watch it again. I'm just going to give it a straight 50. See, I could see this being like, oh, we're going to watch the Hellraiser trilogy and watch the first two, first three. I could no. see that. But I mean, no. really, there is some, okay, here's the thing. One is classic. 
stands on its own. Two is fucking nutballs. <laughs> and I love that about it. <laughs> Three is a little sillier. It's not as good as two. But I don't think it's terrible. I can't imagine why I gave Hellseeker a 68. But I will give this one a 65, I think. Okay. That's a big difference between two of us. It is. This will probably show up on our critical differences. I, you know what? The next one might, too. Yeah. We're talking about our modern film, 2022's Hellraiser, written by Ben Collins and Luke Petrowski, based on a screen story by David S. Goyer, who just, I don't know about him, man. Like, he's done some good stuff. Like, he did the Christopher Nolan trilogy of Batman movies. Um, but he also did the Blade trilogy. I told you Blade would be coming back. Hey, the first Blade's good. Is it? He wrote the line, some motherfuckers always trying to ice skate uphill. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. That's hilarious is what it is. But I feel like unintentionally so. It's supposed to be badass, and it's not. But it's so funny. <laughs> anyway. It's a good time. Directed by David Bruckner. It stars Odessa Azion. Jamie Clayton, Adam Faison, Drew Starkey, Goran Vizhnik, Hiam Abbas, and Selena Lowe. Barker was actually a producer on this again, and he was involved. This has been in the making since, like, 05, 06, 07, sometime around then. And they just kept releasing sequels to maintain the rights in the meantime. So, like, all the other crazy bad ones <laughs> came out mm-hmm. in the meantime, and it just kept getting pushed back, handed to writer-director team after writer-director team, on and off and on and off and on and off, until finally this got made. Some 16 years later or something like that. Kelsey, what is this Hellraiser, I think it's safe to say, reboot about? It kind of rewrites the story where the box comes from and what the box does and how the box works, which I thought was interesting. That part of this film is interesting. But the actual story about a girl who comes into owning the box on accident and accidentally unleashes it and then getting wrapped up in why it actually exists. Like, that story, it's just a girl gets the box and accidentally opens it and then has to close it. You know, it's very similar to the first movie, the original film, except that you don't have the awesome family story going on. Right, you're right. This, the But the accidental part, like, did you not watch the movie? It was not accidental whatsoever. It was very intentional. It was intentional that she got it. yeah. She got it accidentally. She did not know. That's not what she intended to get. She wasn't pursuing anything. Right. Because traditionally, all this terror and pain is caused by somebody who's looking, who is seeking more. Right. And she is absolutely not. Right. I mean, I guess you could again argue Kirsty Cotton kind of gets it accidentally, too. Yeah, but because her dad wanted more. Well, her stepdad. No, her uncle. Her Her uncle uncle wanted more. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, there is a guy who does want more. That's how it all gets started. It's how she does get her hands on it. I mean, listen, I get where Kelsey's coming from here. I'm not going to be, like, contrarian to every single thing she says. There's some things that I'm like, well, no, I think the movie explains that, or I disagree with you. But that's about as far as I'll go. I can see why Kelsey 
wasn't the biggest fan of this movie. The first hour of this movie is boring as it, hell. Oh my god. Okay, so the movie is available for subscription uh, to Hulu. It is way too long. It's two hours long. It is two hours long, and it should not be two hours long. First hour is very unnecessary. And there, well, and there, there's a lot of the back half is unnecessary, too. Like, there are points where when they get to the mansion, it's like, oh, the movie's wrapping up. No, there's an hour left. Like, it's insane how long this fucking movie is. Yeah, it's way too long. That's its biggest downfall, I would say, is it's just too long should people watch it though you're gonna get it we're gonna get a split decision here again i think if you are a fan of the original and the second one well i mean if you're a fan of the whole series and absolutely but like if you like the first like one, one and two if you like one and two i think you should watch it but again mostly for the second half the first half is very hard to get through it was for me i thought Again, the acting is not great. Again, the dialogue mm. is not That's great. The, acting. Uh, the plot itself is not that. I don't think that the main actress is that great. So therefore, her story is not very interesting to me. But all the stuff about the box. Yeah. Again, that's all in the second half is interesting. Yeah. I kind of hinted at this earlier. If you think that Lamarchand's box is too open-ended. Like, it could be and do absolutely anything, and they could do anything with it, and so it's not really interesting. What makes things interesting are their limitations and how you act within those limitations. If you think that, this movie solves that fucking problem for the most part. There are things, I will defer to Kelsey, she'll, I'm sure, be eager to point out, that just don't make sense, that, well, if that's the case, then isn't this the case? And yes, it's not perfect, but it's it does a way better job than literally any Hellraiser movie at explaining what's going on. And I really liked that. And I'm the guy that likes the weird, vague shit. Kelsey's the person who hates it when a movie ends and shit's not explained. <laughs> I'm the one that's like, shit, whatever, man. Is it weird? Let's do it. <laughs> But I really appreciated the explanations in this movie. I would say also, if you liked one and two or just one, watch this. But this is actually very obviously heavily influenced by number two. Yes. In really interesting ways. But if you don't like the, if, if you, if like you've seen the original Hellraiser and you're like, meh, do not watch this. You are not going no, to like it. It doesn't make it more palatable or no. anything like that. Mm -mm. No. Anyway, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2022's Hellraiser. What's your deal? It has six sides, six configurations. It opens up and it cuts you. And then they come to collect. Blood, their pain. All for us. 
Alright, Kelsey, get us started. How does Hellraiser 2022 begin? We find out that this movie takes place in Belgrade, Serbia, although I don't feel there's any real reason as to why. Well, I've heard conflicting reports, so I'm not entirely positive. I believe part of this movie was filmed in Serbia. It doesn't take place in Serbia. Hiyama Boss buys the quote-unquote lament configuration for Goran Vizhnyak. These are the actors' names. <laughs> the older woman buys the cube for the man that is sort of the villain of the movie. Got it. In Belgrade. Just like Julia in the first film, in the original film, this woman, Meniker, is out finding victims for her master. Yeah. But this time, it's simply a guy she works for. This time, it is just for money, not for love. Yeah, and this is happening in the Berkshires. This is where Voight's mansion is. Voight will be the bad guy, basically, for the rest of the movie. Even though, for most of the movie, you don't even see him. (laughs) (laughs) So she's going to tell this kid, this guy, he seems like he's supposed to be very young, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. He gets sent to this rich guy's house. And was the party already there and he's sent to that wing? Oh, maybe. I feel like that's the case. Well, he goes to his this room that's filled with puzzle, the puzzle stuff and the puzzle sitting in the middle of the room. And it's in one of the configurations. Do you know all the different configurations? I do. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to explain all those, so get that stuff ready. Well, right now it's in a configuration that looks like an hourglass. Okay. It's the one you see in all the trailers, and people who haven't watched a lot of Hellraiser movies go, what, it's not a box? What's going on? (laughs) So, this kid, I think his name is Joey, he goes Mm -hmm. to hold the box, and he's like, what is it? And he's like, it's a puzzle, and it's the only one of its kind uh, and it's almost finished. You want to go ahead and finish it for me? And he's like, okay. If I solve it, do I get a prize? And the guy goes, well, I do. I would not like that response. I'd be like, what the fuck does that yeah, mean? Yeah, no, tell me what you mean first before I do anything. <laughs> People need to be more, like, scrupulous when it comes to making deals, regardless of how innocent it may seem. Yes. But so he does, and this... A uh, thing comes out and stabs him. Yeah. The rich guy locks Joey in this room where he has the box. And this thing comes out. And I'm not kidding, you guys. It goes through the knee. And I was like, are you serious? Oh, right. I did We mentioned it this episode. Kelsey has injured her knee. It entirely it just popped out. It just her knee just popped out. Stop it. <laughs> Stop saying that. (laughs) So, yeah, so I had to watch this, and he's like, the pain, the pain. And I was just like, okay, this guy has never injured his knee before. (laughs) As a knee injury expert. (laughs) You don't respond with the pain, the pain. And we see the box transform into the diamond shape. What we know from the second movie is the Leviathan. 
Yes, and when this happens, the rich guy calls out to the heavens. I am a penitent of the Leviathan. Grant me this audience. Grant me this boon. It appears as the Leviathan configuration, as the giant, it's a long, like, diamond. Yeah, uh-huh. And it come, it, it's above him. And that's the same shape from the second it movie. It is, it is. It's the god of hell that is in the second movie. We don't get to see what happens. We get a cut to six years later. Yeah. So before we move on to the six years later, go ahead and tell us, because this is the the most interesting thing about this film. I feel like they do not give you long enough time to yeah. explain it and understand it. So a, a thing about the original movie is you have this box, right? You turn it into a particular configuration and you summon the Cenobites. And they are basically priests of hell that... Lord over pain and pleasure. And it's for people who are looking for the ultimate and physical experience, and they will give it to you. You're not going to like it. Unless they turn you into a Cenobite, and it might be that that's just your life from now on, which isn't entirely common. Every single person who uses it gets taken by the Cenobites. That's just how it is. That is not the case in this. There is one person who strikes a deal... With the Cenobites to get a boon of their choosing. And it's their job to complete every configuration of the cube. And once they do, they get that boon. And how they complete the configurations is they have to move it into a particular shape. A blade pops out. That blade draws blood. It can be anyone's anyone's blood. blood anyone you don't need to make an agreement with them it doesn't need to be about sex it's just about sacrifice it can be a cenobite yes we will find that out later that yes it can be a cenobite because while they may be priests of the hell dimension they are not they're not bloodless yes that's the whole reason they have all these torture devices on them is they can that's feel the ultimate in experience everything right yes they're feeling that the entire time that's kind of why I I think that's their excuse for why they move so slowly. Yeah, because how fast would you move? There's <laughs> one character that does run. Movement and is agony. That was fun. When all of a sudden this blind, the, the guy, he can't even move his arms. He has them like crossed in front of him and he's moving slowly. He has no face. And then they're just like letting him in. This is towards the end. And then all of a sudden, like he just... He unfurls his arms and then he just fucking starts running and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> that was kind of cool. Uh, but anyway, so yes, once it draws blood, it changes into the next configuration. And there are six total configurations. There's the lament configuration, which is just the cube. That's where everything starts. It is now, life. for each one. Yeah, it represents what? a type of boon you can request when you're done. What does? I'll tell you all of them. You ready? But you just said it means life. Because that's not what he says at the end of the movie. That's what's written in the book that Voight has. Lament means life. Basically, what you're choosing is nothing. You're choosing to choose nothing. It's kind of the big twist at the end of it. And just go back to your life. And you're going to regret it or whatever. Exactly. That's what the lamentation Lam so, is. Yeah, la lament means to be sad. Yes. Basically. So, so life is sad? 
Yeah, go back to your sad, pathetic existence. Now that you've and, been through and, this, I and guess. And never feel the great pleasures that we can give you. They uh. see that as a bad thing. But in the end, we're supposed to realize that it's, it's a good thing. So the lament configuration is life. There's the lore configuration, which is this weird sort of uneven shape. It's like the only shape that's not, it can't be, uh, it doesn't have a pole on either end and it, and it spins evenly across. There's a word for that. It's an odd shape and that's for knowledge. There's the lauderant configuration, which is like two pyramids shoved together. It's like a three-dimensional star of David. That's the love configuration. There's the liminal configuration, which is this sort of um, rectangle prism. Uh, that's for sensation. There's the Lazarus configuration, which is the hourglass configuration for resurrection. So you can bring somebody back to life. Uh, that's what this was at when Joey was sacrificed. And then the final configuration, which summons the Leviathan, is the Leviathan configuration, and that represents power. So you can ask for, again, life, which is basically going back to your own life, knowledge, love, sensation, resurrection, or power. It's lament, lore, lauderant, liminal, Lazarus, and Leviathan. Those are all the different configurations of this box, which they have not called... La Marchand's box, which doesn't get that name until number four anyway, which we haven't seen on the show. It's just the puzzle box. Uh, so that's all of these things. Do we want to give away the 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 end? What power is like? All of them are pretty straightforward. We explained the weird one, which is life, knowledge, love, sensation, resurrection. It might be fun to talk about what we think would would happen. For each one, because it's it's a monkey's paw situation. Of course yeah. it is. Well, I mean, life is you get so close to experiencing the outer thresholds of sensation, and then you just got to go back to the real world. That's life or lament. Knowledge or lore is, I assume, you're granted something that you didn't know. Now you know it, but I assume in some way... It's knowing is terrible. Suffering. Yeah, uh -huh. knowing that that information is terrible. Uh, Lauderant love. There's been plenty of stories about how love spells or potions go wrong. Uh, liminal sensation. Liminal is to what happens to void. Tell he them gets, what happens. To he him. gets a, a device shoved through his body that threads his nerves, nerves. Uh, and then God. like pulls on them. And In it pulls on ways. them at, I don't know if it's regular or irregular times, but just irregular. every so often. So he will always be feeling pain. So that he can never go numb. He can never go numb to the pain that of just yanking on, on him would be like, oh my God. And so the whole plot of this movie is Voight, who gets his wish, he chooses liminal. He chooses sensation. And he gets this fucking thing. What they thought sensation is, right? The monkey's paw answer. Mm -hmm. And... He spends the next six years trying to devise a way to solve the puzzle again or, you know, decides after six years. That's not clear what he does in that time. Yeah. Very, very true. We don't know. Mm -hmm. But I wonder there's probably maybe some extra stuff, shorts, comics, whatever. But six years later, his scheme is to solve the puzzle again, sacrifice another five people. That's what it takes. There's six configurations to go from one to six. It's five sacrifices. 
So he gets another boon, which is take this fucking thing out of me is what he would want, right? So they decided to give him power. Yes, they. it's a great moment when Pinhead, or just identified as the priest, they all have uh, article the names. So there's the priest, there's the gasp, yeah, there's didn't the asphyx, the Pinhead. weeper. He never named him Pinhead. He hates that name, though, right? Uh, Pinhead kind of came about because he has all the pins in his head. And in three, they're actually like nails. In this I always one, they're thought very they were clearly nails. Pins. I thought they were very obviously nails. In this one, they are very clearly pins. But Pinhead is like, oh, it was you doing all this. And he's like, please, you got to take this out of me. They're like, but you chose Liminal. And he's like, you, I will do anything. And Pinhead says, the priest. It's also really shitty because there's... The Chatterer, which I think is just Chatterer. There's Butterball for the fat one. And then there's the female Cenobite, mm-hmm. which is kind of fucked. But anyway, none of that here. They all get fun names. And, <laughs> Pin- and Pinhead is the priest. Pinhead says, oh, oh, I see. You didn't really want a liminal boon. What you really wanted was power. Oh, I can give you power. Anything is better than this. Perhaps we were wrong about you. You've never sought sensation. Your whole life, every conquest, all your pleasures lie in Then we get to see, straight out of two, the Leviathan turning Voight into a new Cenobite. It's how the movie ends. The very end of the movie is him getting turned into a Cenobite. I fucking love that. I love that this took elements of one and two. I think that's really cool. I guess it just makes it. It's not psychosexual anymore. Yeah. I mean, all the Cenobites are supposed to be weird kinks. You know, it's supposed to hearken to those people that, you know, uh, hang themselves from hooks and stuff like that. Like, that's what it's supposed to be about, is that that search for sensation and the sexual gratification that one might get from that. That's almost entirely gone, other than the fact that Voight requested liminal boon, a liminal boon, and the Cenobites still look like they do. Except they're all naked now. They don't wear leather. Were they? 
Yeah, they're all like they're all naked. I didn't. Notice they got like that. skin peeled back over them. Yeah, and they stuff like they that. all like don't have their skin, so I yeah, guess I just uh-huh. didn't notice that they weren't wearing clothes. Yeah. One cool thing about the Cenobites too is the gasp. You can hear her the entire time, just the wheezing, breathing sound. <gasps> Like, whenever the Cenobites are around, she talks. She's probably, like, the equivalent of, quote-unquote, the female Cenobite from the original. Like, the only other one who gets lines. <laughs> uh, she talks sometimes, but the entire time she's present, just this wheezing breath. It's just disturbing. Because isn't it that her lungs have been, like... <laughs> like, flayed open? Like, I think it does that whole, like, w- wings thing. What story was that, where they turned... I'm trying pulled the to lungs remember. out the back. I feel like it was in Hannibal for sure, but yeah. then I think we actually saw it in another horror movie, and I think I made the connection to Hannibal there. Yeah, if you remember, it's in one of the episodes. Um, let us know. But yeah, so she and she has her esophagus peeled open too. Um, Which yes, that's taken out of three because that's what happens to what is her name? Carrie Cassie. Terry. Terry. Yeah. Uh huh. So what happens to her because she always comments on do you have a smoke smoking. or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's like but the like, overview of the all the lore and everything. Like in Beetlejuice. Oh yeah, uh-huh. their caseworker. Uh huh. Like that commercial. You guys remember that? Commercial? I remember that commercial. I remember that commercial. Yep. God. <laughs> okay, so six years later. Six years later. Yes. All right. We meet our main character, who when you first see her, you're going to be like, oh, is that Leah Shawkat? No, it's not. <laughs> no, this is uh, Odessa Azion playing Riley. She who is... Who was not great, in my opinion. No, I think she was fine. What do you mean she's not great? I thought she was fine. She's not a great actress. Ah, she was fine. She's in a relationship with a guy named Trevor. Yeah. Who kind of similar to... Kirstie Cotton's guy in Hellseeker. Yeah. Kind of cares about her, but is also kind of using her. Although I guess in Hellseeker, he really didn't care about her at all. We will find out later that Trevor was actually hired by Voight. Just like in Hellseeker. Yeah. Because I want to assume Meniker took it, took the puzzle box, because it ends up locked up. It ends up locked up in a in a in a safe inside a shipping container. Yes, and their whole thing. Trevor convinces Riley that they're going to steal it and pawn whatever's inside. And when they open it up, it's just the safe. And when they open the safe, it's just the puzzle box. And he lets her take it home. It's interesting, insofar as I don't know. Do you think it was manipulation that while they're having sex, the first time we ever see them, they're having sex. He says, I love you. And she freaks out about that. Do you think that was intentional? See, that's really difficult to tell because he seems to genuinely really like her. He does. So it's hard to tell. Trevor's an enigma. (laughs) I feel like the actor didn't know. I feel like he was never given. You know, I think you're right. Like, like, I don't think anybody ever definitively told him. And so he kind of played it. He played it as if he really cared about her. But that doesn't make his actions make a lot of sense. Right. That's the problem is that like, oh, yeah, it's open to interpretation. And that makes it interesting. But also it makes it indecipherable. Yeah. Like, 
it's one thing to have a, a flawed character. It's one thing to have him kind of like her, but like money more. But, like, that's not what's happening it here. It seems like even the movie and the actor didn't know what he was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. She also has a brother, Matt, who is living with his boyfriend, Colin, and they have a friend, Nora. So these are, like, our players here. Yeah. Although the brother's going to die real fast. You're hardly going to know him. All you're going to know about him is that he's hard on his sister because his sister used to be an addict. She still is, obviously. That's one of his problems with the fact that she's dating some guy who's still in a program right now. And he ends up kicking her out. And she goes and does drugs out in a playground. And then plays with the box. Uh Uh-huh. And then when he finds her, because he's worried about her. It doesn't... When she gets it to its first configuration, somehow, I guess it's because she's all fucked up on drugs or something, the the mechanism does not stab her. No. In fact, he gets stabbed when he picks it up when he finds her. It seems almost like if you know enough about the box, which is why we see Voight wrote down a lot of stuff. He has like notes and things like that. If you know enough about it, it's not trying to trick you into cutting yourself. That's just how you reveal the blade and then the blade takes the blood. It just happened. It just seems to happen a lot that if you don't know it's going to come out, you're going to get hit. Right. But I feel like the Cenobites here knew that this was all part of the rich guy's plan because when it, when it take when it goes to take her brother, it says to her, that was intended for you. But we'll take another, but that was intended for you. Yeah. And I think that that's like a kind of a hearkening to the first film where they want to take Kirsty, But Kirsty's like, you don't want me. You want right. this guy. No, totally. I, th- I think you're right. I think what's going on here is that Trevor, Trevor is a mover. It's what he does, I think, right? Like, he's always moving things around expensive properties, or he, he ships things, or, you know, he, he he works for a moving company or something. And that's how he knew what this thing was and where you could get the big score or whatever, because nobody's watching it. We can just break in. I imagine that's how he met Voight. And it's been six years, because Voight can't go out in public with this giant contraption pierced through his body. And going into spasms every time it unpredictably cranks and Meneker when she I assume said no locked that thing up away from Voight and left him it took him six years before he could find somebody this young impressionable moving boy to do his dirty work to go out and convince people to do the puzzle and cut themselves he needs eyes, hands, pair of legs to get around and do the dirty work for him. He can't just kill Trevor and then hope six years from now a second person comes along. It'd take forever. So instead he convinces Trevor to sacrifice people. And first person is his girlfriend for some reason, which is why does he love her? Doesn't fucking sound like it. He could have sacrificed anybody. Right. Again, it's not important who it is. But in any case, they do say, no, this was meant for you. We will just take you if you want us to. Otherwise, you need to bring us more bodies. That blade was meant 
So she's sort of the one making the agreement with the Cenobites as far as they're concerned. she's all messed up on drugs. Yes. So she has no idea what's going on. Uh-huh. She thinks she's hallucinating. Yeah. But her brother does disappear. So their story is sort of driven by a desire to find Matt. Because he's disappeared. And we know he was taken by the Cenobites. Now, it's funny because this movie is as long as it is. But there Far are things- too long. But there are things that happen in this movie that seem to happen very fast. Okay. Like what? Character decisions. Like, if this was a real thing happening, I don't know that I believe that she would happen this quickly. So, she sees that thing, she thinks it's a hallucination. Then later, she's going to have sex with her boyfriend, Trevor, and she's going to see the Cenobite again, right? And she's going to kind of almost instantly figure it out and be like, I get it. It's uh-huh. the box. Yeah. And that thing is attached to the box. And if I, like, she she just figures things out really fast. Fair enough. But and wouldn't I'm it like, bother you if it took her forever? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That would not be interesting to watch. But I feel like there's got to be a more clear-cut way of making it make sense to her. Because uh, I don't know that I believe that somebody who thought that they saw a hallucination would automatically believe that it was real. Right. Right, Kelsey. Who's that? (laughs) Don't automatically believe it's real. There's no such thing as ghosts. (laughs) Oh, we didn't mention Pinhead is played by Jamie Clayton, who is a trans woman. So, like, I guess that sort of fits better with Clive Barker's idea. Like, Pinhead was never male explicitly it just was because they hired doug bradley but the way he's described is something like modified so as to almost be sexless i think is the phrase he uses something like that so it's almost like more fitting that we have a trans woman playing this part Mm -hmm. and i think she did great yeah i thought she did fine i'm totally fine if they continue to make more movies with her as the lead cenobite yeah i think she did a great job Mm mm-hmm she finds the woman, Mechner. How do they find Meneker. her? Meneker. Okay. So, well, first of all, it changes to the lore configuration, that weird shape thing, when it takes her brother. Her and Trevor find Serena Meneker. That's her first name. I have it in my notes. I did write down Serena. You did write down reason. Serena. That's what it was. Serena Meneker from the deed to the storage place where they found it. Her name was on the deed. How'd they find that? That's on that's on pub, matter of public record. Oh. They find her somehow, who knows, at like an institute of some sort, a yeah, retirement she's like home. Dying. But yeah, maybe a hospice care, something like that. And Meneker gives them Voight's name and also tries to take the box. Riley, who thinks it's the key to finding her brother, won't let her take it, and Meneker gets cut. Yeah. So she's the next one taken, and now we get the Lauderant configuration. Yes, and I actually thought this was a really good scene. Yeah. I thought when Meneker gets her comeuppance, not because she gets her comeuppance, but I thought it was a really well shot scene. I thought this is a great place for the Cenobites because it's a, it's a small enclosed space. So it makes sense that it, that their slow walking is intimidating. 
Whereas in three, when they're outside on the streets, out on the streets, doesn't make a lot of sense that you can't get walking away from around them. like Jason taking Manhattan. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it was really well done. And, and when she says, "I'm sorry," and and Pinhead says, "Save your breath for screaming." Actually, I don't think it's Pinhead. I think it's another one of the Sundamites. Probably the Gasp. Mm-hmm. It's very good. I thought it was very effective, very scary. Or the Weeper, the one that has the pins in her tear ducts. Don't. It might have been her, yeah. Maybe it's the Asphyx that's breathing like that. Because the Asphyx, asphyx as in asphyxia, like suffocating, choking. Maybe that's it's the one whose face is covered, I assume. But then she also disappears. Yeah, of course she does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Riley will see her brother. Begging her to help him, which is how the Cenobites are manipulating her into giving them more sacrifices. Uh-huh. Because they're telling her, we can bring your brother back. Uh-huh. You know, just like the dark side. And when they find out more information about it, like, they're going to go to Voight's place, because she gave them Voight's name. When they go to Voight's place and they find out more about it, she's like, well, I can ask for resurrection. And that sort of becomes her plan. Yes, Yes, it is the dark side, it is the monkey's paw. Uh-huh. Just realize that the dark side is nothing but the monkey's paw. Well, I wouldn't go so far as to reduce it to that. <laughs> you think about Anakin. That's why he... Yeah, but a monkey's paw is, is specifically irony. It's it's targeted irony. This is The dark side is not. So yes, they learn that whoever holds the final configuration gets an audience with God, in quotes, and one request granted. Life, knowledge, love, sensation, resurrection, or power. And that life is what Riley's going to choose by the end. She's not going to choose resurrection after, after all. Why does this lead to them being in the rich guy's house? Because that's the next thing. Yeah, Meneker told them about Voight. They go looking for Voight. They find his property, and it's just abandoned. So he's living in the walls, well, he's hiding in Just like in The Boy and... He's skulking around. I don't know that it's like uh, he's living there. What's that other one where the kid's living in the walls? Oh, bad uh, people Robert. under the stairs? No. It's like Bad oh, Robert. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bad Robert. Something like that. <laughs> bad Ronald. Bad Ronald. Although I felt the house looked a lot like the house from... Um, 13 Ghosts, the remake. They're 13 in Ghosts? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I felt that a lot. I was like, damn, somebody liked that movie when they were a kid. <laughs> yeah, it is very much, we find, there's little switches. <laughs> it is basically a puzzle box of a building, and which does, does feel like the modern 13 Ghosts. You're right. You're absolutely right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And it, yeah, it has like the design in the skylight. And basically it's a... It's basically a shrine to the Leviathan, because that's where the Leviathan is going to appear. Yes. Is at this place. But you can close doors, and they that's going to become important later. They have little um, boxes for all the ghosts. Yeah, little little cages for all the ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't mention in the hospital, we do see the walls shift. Yeah. As if that's how the Cenobites are going to come. So Very again, cool. you are marking a target with the blade that's in the box. And then the Cenobites come to collect. And the way they come is like the walls shift and nobody can see it. Just like And then they come two. out from hell just like in two. So I think it happens cool. in one as well, but more so in two. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, specifically, they're in a hospital of some sort. And then the walls open up like that was too. 
So Trevor will go get Colin and Nora. Again, Colin is Matt's boyfriend and Nora is their friend because Riley's losing it and they need to find Matt. So now all four of them are there and they're going to go searching throughout this place. And when she gets separated from Trevor, Nora gets stabbed in the back by Voight and says to them as she comes stumbling out, there's a man in the walls. That's hence your hiding in the walls thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they try to get her out. They they take Trevor's van and they try to drive away. But the property is shifting and changing like a maze. And it won't let them leave. Mm. And it takes Nora while she's in the van. And there's these really cool visual effects of like the van stretching out into infinity well, that's like what she sees when the Cenobites come and pick her up. Yeah. It's really cool. I like that a lot. A lot of really good visual effects in this. Like that turns into the dungeon hell's hallways from two. Right. That she finds herself in. And when they go to take her, she starts to pray and they ask, what are you praying for? It's all Asia. <laughs> what did you like? Joyful notes. It's a rough murder. Pinhead will remove one of her pins and force it through Nora's esophagus. And we see that from inside. It doesn't really look very real, but it's still uncomfortable. But you know how that's how everything's actually laid out and your mind can do the rest, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much more the body can be made to feel and you'll feel it all before we're through. Obviously a callback to number one. Yes. And when they're done with her, they go to Riley and they say, two more, feed it. And she goes, no, 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 I've done enough. Isn't it convenient that there are two more friends? Yes. Two more configurations? Oh, definitely. And when she says, I've done enough, Pinhead says, enough is a myth. I love that line. So as insurance, to ensure that Riley will carry out getting them the the remaining two and is sort of like a you know the devil can be kind kind of thing stabs riley with the box it's basically saying if not you like she said at the very beginning when she told her this if not you then another we will take you if you don't take someone else so it's basically like motivation for her to act i was worried at this point that we were going to spend the rest of the movie in these woods again They didn't even get to this house until already an hour through, and then you're just halfway through the movie. (laughs) So much. I also hated that she stabbed her. I really, really hated that she stabbed her. Why is that? Because then just go stab people. Right. Okay, so Kelsey makes a great point, and it's one that I can easily overlook, but I don't think that's because I'm better or anything. And that's the gaps in the lore. One of my bigger problems with the original franchise is just how many gaps they create in the lore, and then they just stretch them out wider and wider. In this, if they can just stab anybody, why don't they just do that? Yeah. I thought they were summoned by the box. Mm-hmm. So, like, what is it? But, that, I mean, that was a big problem with three. Right. Like, Well, this is, this is why I'm saying this is still better 
than like any of the other entries, except for number one, which is so simple. And then you start thinking about all the implications of number one, and you're forced to come up with answers, and those answers aren't very good answers. Mm -hmm. So this, I think, fills in a lot in a way that makes sense, except it does leave those sort of holes. Yeah. But after she's done this... I don't remember if she does it on purpose or if it's an accident, but she ends up stabbing one of the Cenobites. She stabs the Chatterer, yeah. I don't know if she does it on purpose, though. Like, if she if thought this will work. I don't know I think if it that was just was... more of he was a threat. And, and so she's she just did trying it. to get rid of him. Yeah. The Cenobites end up taking him. He is ripped apart so, at Pinhead's command. So they discover that they're fine with taking their own. We never had to make any real sacrifices. I mean, I guess you technically have to make the, the first sacrifice to call them there in the first place. But once they're there, you can apparently just take yeah. them. So that, yeah, they're being chased, and she specifically is being chased. I wrote this down. Why did he pass up Colin? Colin's cowering on the floor as the chatter is walking towards him, and he just passes him right up. Well, because he's there for the one that's marked. That's Riley. And he pushes this gate, this fence... And her and Trevor are trapped behind it. Trevor tries to fight back and he gets like bitten by the Chatterer because, you know, Chatterer's got those teeth. And it's in this struggle that Riley stabs the Chatterer and then Chatterer is then pulled apart. And yeah, so the Cenobites can be sacrificed this way. Well, two birds. Right. But apparently the rich guy is just plain evil and enjoys killing people because the rich guy's going to show up totally fuck up all their plans because they make all these plans to to get the next one and then stab him and he comes in and he's like nah and then he just like gives the roommate or whoever it was that was left colin colin right the the, the boyfriend of her mm -hmm. brother he stabs him and trevor yells <laughs> at him like, you didn't have fuck? to do that it works on them but he doesn't care ah, i didn't have to do that the blade would have taken them! It doesn't matter. The Cenobites will come just like I want them to. He, like, enjoys hurting other people. Yeah. This is where we find out that Voight chose Liminal originally. And the Cenobites' tastes were not what he imagined. This is where we learn exactly what this machine is actually doing to him. He explains... I don't know what they promised you. Knowledge. Love. I saw pleasure with all they have to give is pain. It's a trick. All of it. This harkens back to three, which we just saw, where Pinhead will trick you. So this is a trick. Voight makes Trevor chase after Colin, but Trevor's fucked up. He's losing a lot of blood. And so he's trying to run away. And... Colin starts getting attacked actually by the gasp. He starts getting razor wired by the gasp. And Voight tells the Cenobites, tells Pinhead as she approaches, do you think I built a fortress? I built a cage. You know, he's like, I'm going to trap you here until you give me what I want. And specifically what I want. No tricks. So yeah, Pinhead admits to the mistake. While Colin's getting fucked up, being taken by the gasp. Your pursuit of pleasure was rooted in power, she says. Riley fucks with the buttons and lets all of them Cenobites out. 
So Mr. Big, Powerful, High and Mighty has to cower in front of them and be like, just take it away. I just don't want it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's when Pinhead does her great monologue. The device actually comes out of him. And she says that their sovereignty lies in anguish. And then he is stabbed through with a giant train coming from the Leviathan, who is now overhead, and says to him, now that will be yours to wield. You wanted that power. You didn't want to receive pain. You wanted to inflict it. Well, now you'll get your chance. You're going to be a Cenobite. We don't actually see that. He's just lifted into the Leviathan as she says, oh, yes, we have such sights to show you. Mm-hmm. Now, I hate this moment because Riley is going to run up and she's going to say, rightly so, everyone, I never chose him. And the Cenobite's going to say, and yet he is chosen. And I'm going to say, you goddamn right, because none of your rules make any fucking sense because you don't actually give a shit. (laughs) They will trick you, Kelsey. (laughs) But why? If they can just go out and use it to stab people. If they can just choose their own marks, why do they need anyone to do it in the first place? Uh Uh-huh. Bothers me a lot. So when having completed the puzzle... Riley is presented with a choice. What does she want? Well, no, first she says, I didn't choose him. Yeah. And yet he is chosen. And she goes, fuck that shit and chooses Trevor. Trevor. Stabs Trevor. Fuck you, Trevor. And says, now there's two of them that have been marked. I'm the one who wields it, basically. You take the one that I marked. And so Colin is saved. Trevor is taken instead. Fuck Trevor. Fuck Trevor. So when they tell her she needs to choose... She's like, no, you know, I know your tricks. I'm not going to choose anything. And Pinhead's like, ah, you've chosen the lament configuration. I've seen your rewards. I know my brother's gone. I don't want anything from you. Nothing. Then you have chosen a life of regret. Knowing everything you've done. Everyone you've hurt and lost. Your suffering has barely begun. You choose to live, to carry that weight, bitter and brief. You have chosen the lament configuration kind of cheesy. Yes, it is. And cool. Like it's a <laughs> cop out, but it makes logical sense, but it's melodramatic, but it's also not poetic enough. Like it sits in this weird space where it's not good and not bad. It's just I don't know. I th- I will say, yeah, I like that. But it's kind of cheesy and I'm okay with that. I think is what I just have to admit. I just have to admit I'm okay with this being cheesy. And then we get to see Voight turned into the Cenobite and then that's movie over. Yeah. So Kelsey, Mm. what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I think I know. Okay. Is it a 68? It is a 68. Yeah. A gift for long-suffering fans after numerous subpar sequels, David Bruckner's Hellraiser unlocks the puzzle box for getting this franchise back on the right track. Metacritic 56. You notice it doesn't say explicitly that this is the right track. It gets the, it back on the right track. Right. I think the, the second half is way better than the first half. 
Yeah, it just should have been a whole lot shorter. Whole lot shorter. I think that would have been the single biggest change they could make to the movie is just make it shorter. Because, yeah, it's like, okay, so we're coming up on the the end of the movie, right? We're getting to the final confrontation. No, we're halfway through. Like, that's, you're like, oh. And when you're looking at the time, that's not a good thing. So do you think 68 is overrated or underrated? I'd say it's probably pretty close to what I say it deserves. What would you pretty give much it? I, I think I'm going to give it a 68. I think I'm going to say 68 is good. You're not even going to give it a 69 dudes? All right, I'll give it a 69 dudes. <laughs> 69 dudes! Why so? Why 69? Because it's pretty good, but it's not great. So in your mind, it's not as good as number two. The first half is very tough to get through. It's uh-huh. so slow. Just like <sighs> I would say <laughs> I like number two in, both in spite of and because of its faults. It is my second favorite so far. I would say until this one. I think because it sort of combines a lot of the things I really liked about 2, although we don't get the really fucking weird shit, I think I'm going to give it better than I gave 2, which again was a 69 dudes. <gasps> it's not as good as the first one, just in its simplicity and its essence. And it loses some of that essence. While it does like bring it back, it also loses some of it. Where's all the fucking sex? There's that one sex scene in the <laughs> beginning of the movie, and that's all we get. That's it. The movie is about sexual pleasure and pain, specifically. So, like, where is that? They barely even talk about it. It's just the general concept of, oh, you want the extremes of pleasure? Well, the extremes of pleasure are pain. And then that's, like, the only lip service they pay to the concept the entire fucking movie. That's a problem for me. I mean, that's why you come to Hellraiser, right? You want the kinky... Freaky, scary hell priests. I thought you went for the Cenobites. That's what I'm saying. The hell priests. Yeah, but that's why you come. You come for them and their promise of, oh, we have such sights to show you. Right, but like I. That's what she tells Voight, our bad guy. I just don't really think about it. I understand why you would and you Mm -hmm. do think about it sexually. I just don't. Right. I don't think about it sexually like it provides me any sexual gratification. But still, I'm going to give it, I think this does get into the 70s for me, not the 80 that I thought the first one was. And kind of in retrospect, the more I think about it, I think 80s might be a little bit too low. I would maybe go a couple points higher than that. I think I'll go 74, not quite 75. This is a good movie, I would say. Okay. It's pretty good. I am very satisfied as it is the second best Hellraiser movie, in my estimation. In yours, it's the third. Sound fair? Mm-hmm. Anything else to say about Hellraiser before we close, Kelsey? No, I think we're All good. Right. So that is our Hellraiser week, where we watch 1992's Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. Hell takes Manhattan. <laughs> and 2022's Hellraiser, the Hulu Hellraiser. <laughs> What are we watching next week? We got the new Halloween movie coming out. All right. So we're going to do Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. This is when we get into the druid shit. Yes, it's not. It's going to be bad. Um, But Paul Rudd, isn't he in 6? Yes. (laughs) Paul Rudd is in 6. 
And then we're going to watch Halloween Ends, Ends which is yeah. funny because we're not done with the series yet. But uh, yeah. So. No, we still have another We week. still have H2O and Resurrection. And Resurrection, yeah. Uh-huh. Before we are done with the Halloween series. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That is next week. Until then, you can always find us on our website, podcemetery.com, on Twitter, at podcemetery, and on Patreon, patreon.com slash podcemetery, where we just put up uh, about an hour and a half long discussion about what counts as kids' horror or family horror. It's our longest Patreon thing we've done yet. Make sure you check us out there, patreon.com slash podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that, sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? There is no good. There is no evil. There is only flesh. What is Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, about, Kelsey? It's hard because it's largely forgettable. Uh, this, it's... I feel like I'm only thinking of the new one, and I'm trying to remember what this <laughs> one is about. Um, there's a pillar in, like... Oh, okay, so this rich guy... Murdered, murdered his, his parents. parents, which is fun. Well, yeah. All right, you ready? Quiet time. I know somebody who's not ready for quiet time. Chill. Don't want to chill. I want pipe. Quiet time starts now. Can't you entertain yourself somewhere else? Starts now. Now. Did I go deaf?
Juniper. What? Come here. And this is where we find, find I sought pleasure, but all they had to give was pain. It's a trick. Leviathan, grant me this boon. Yes. 